Amen. Thank you, JT. Thank you, choir and musicians. Beautiful singing this morning. It is good to see everyone. Glad you're here. And if you're watching online, glad you're watching with us. We continue our study in the unseen world. And uh, today we're going to start in uh, 1 John, as you see on the screen there, in chapter 3, verse 1. So you can be turning there if you would. And uh, we'll continue our study on the unseen world. It's, of course, Tuesday is Valentine's Day. And we think of the, you know, romantic love during Valentine's Day. And, but we also think of the love of family and love of friends. But the greatest love of all is God's love for us. Amen? And uh, we sang about that today. Beautiful singing. And this passage speaks about God's love for us. It's a beautiful passage. It, it's, it's kind of poetic. It almost sounds like a little bit of, of a psalm almost in New Testament language. So let's read this and then keep your Bibles open. We'll look at several other places. We're going to come back to this too and explain it a little more. But let's read it for now. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, our loved ones, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we, he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Isn't that a great promise? When he comes back, we're going to have a new body like his glorious body. And uh, as Philippians says, he will change our vile, or in the King James vile, our body of weakness, our body of humiliation, to be likened unto his glorious body, that resurrection body. Verse 3 says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Pray with me for a moment. Father, thank you for our time together today. Make it profitable, I pray, for each of us. May we have ears to hear and eyes to see truth from your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I read an interesting story about a man by the name of Sergeant John Peck. He's a Marine, an American Marine, who lost all four of his limbs, both legs, both arms, in an explosion in Afghanistan in 2010. Uh, he thought, of course, as anyone would, that he would be wearing prosthetic arms and prosthetic legs for the rest of his life. But in 2016, something extraordinary happened. It's a little bit hard to believe. But he received a double arm transplant. The arms came from a young man who was declared brain dead and they removed his arms rushed the arms in packed ice to a hospital in Boston. And 
Sergeant Peck went through a 14-hour transplant surgery. Think about it, 14 hours. It was a team of 60 surgeons, nurses, and technicians. And he woke up the next morning, and he had arms. Can you imagine that? It's amazing what the science, medical science, can do in our day. His arms are functional, enough so that he can do many daily tasks with his arms, including signing his name on copies of his book entitled Rebuilding Sergeant Peck. <laughs> wow, pretty amazing story. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back, you and I will be changed, not in a 14-hour operation, as wonderful as that is. We're going to be changed in what the Bible calls the twinkling of an eye. General Electric, years ago, said the twinkling of an eye is 11 one-hundredths of a second. <laughs> That's how fast that transformation will take place. And we shall be like Him. What a glorious truth. He will change our body of weakness into a body like unto His glorious body. Well, let's go back and look at this text a little more now with this thought. And uh, it begins with behold, and then what manner of love. That the Amplified puts it like this. What incredible quality of love. What an incredible quality of love God loves us with. Kenneth Weiss, the great Greek scholar from Dallas Theological Seminary, translates it like this. He says about the word, this is a foreign kind of love, foreign to the human race. It's not found naturally in humanity. <laughs> he loves us with a supernatural love. He loves us with this incredible quality of love. The word behold there means to be in wonder or amazement of what's about to be said. So when you put that all together, God is saying to us, be in wonder and amazement that I love you with an uh, indescribable quality of love. Wow. That's a great love story, isn't it? He loves us, every one of us, that much. And then it says, the Father hath bestowed this love upon us. The word bestowed is in the perfect tense in the Greek, indicating something that has happened in the past, and now it continues on without end. And so the idea is that he loves us with this incredible quality of love and it's been bestowed upon us and it will never end. It is an eternal love. He doesn't love me more on a day when I do well. There's a lot of people feel that way. I did pretty good today, but 
Then when we have a day where we don't do so well, we think God loves us less. That is not true. This, this indescribable quality of love is the same every day, every minute, every month, every year of our lives, and more than that, into eternity. Amen? So he's bestowed this upon us once and for all that we should be called the sons of God. Now the word sons there, there's two particularly important words translated sons in the Bible. One is huos, and that means an adult son. The other is technon, and technon means, it literally means a born one. It could be, it could refer to a baby or a toddler, a teenager, or a senior citizen. A born one. Usually technon is translated children. Because it includes male and female. Technon includes male and female. The King James translates it sons. But they translate it in, in a way. If I try to help you to understand why would they do that. Well, you know, we use the term mankind. Mankind refers to men and women, right? We still use that term today. Mankind. Men and women. Well, when the King James was written or translated in 1611, the idea of a son used in this corporate sense meant uh, men and women. We are all the sons of God, sons and daughters. We are all made sons of God, born ones of God. But to the English reader today, it makes more sense to us to read that we are children of God, male and female. So he says uh, that we should be called the sons or the children of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. I tell you, in the last few years, the world has come to know us less and less to understand us less and less. They don't want to understand us. They want to get rid of us, you know. And uh, Jesus told us that was going to happen. And John writing here tells us it's going to happen. He tells us, in, of course, moved by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 2. Beloved, or that word beloved, it means loved ones. It's, it's a family term. When John speaks to Christians, he speaks to them as a family and, and we're a family. We're the family of God. Amen? And in each local church then, that local church is an individual family itself. We're, we're a family right here at Gospel. He says, beloved, or beloved ones, loved ones, now are we the sons of God. Same thing, technon, children of God. Now, we already are children of God. Now are we the children of God. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are a child of God right now. John says in 1 John, I mean in the book of Gospel of John in chapter 1, as many as received him, Christ, gave he power to become the children of God. That's how you become a child of God, receiving Christ. Here he's writing to believers. They're already children of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We don't know all the details about what it's going to be like in heaven or that new body will be like. We don't know all those details. We can look at the body of Christ and get a pretty good idea. And then it says, 
But we know that when he shall appear, that's at his second coming, at the rapture, we shall be like him, made glorious. So though heaven is an unseen world right now, part of the unseen world, uh, and people are there, and they're, they're there in spirit and soul, but one day we'll have a body too, after the resurrection. And... Uh, Ours will be like his. And that's also true, by the way, of lost people. There's going to be a resurrection of the lost as well, the Bible tells us in uh, Revelation, the end chapters of Revelation. And so they will receive some kind of body that will last through eternity. And then it says in verse 3, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. When you think about what God's done for us, how much he loves us, it makes us want to live right. And when you think about Jesus' coming, it could be today. It makes us want to live right. It makes us want to love him with all of our heart and serve him with all of our strength, doesn't it? We purify ourselves. Now this word purify is in a tense that indicates continual action. And uh, so is the word hope. So as we continually hope or trust in, the Amplified says, has this hope resting on them. Uh, we have this hope and looking forward to and trust in God's love and the Lord Jesus coming. And as we do, then we'll continually purify ourselves. It's not a one-time thing. You dedicate yourself hard enough and all of a sudden you're, you know, sinless or something like that. Nothing like that. This is an ongoing purification. We would call it sanctification. We would call it Christian growth. We would call it growing into the image of Christ. All of those terms, good biblical terms for this great principle. So, a beautiful passage of Scripture. Now, we're in this midst of talking about the abodes of the unseen world. And we've been talking about Hell and Hades, it's not a pleasant subject. Not a pleasant subject for me to preach. It's not a pleasant subject on you to listen to. But it's truth. And we need truth, of course, in every form from God's Word. And so, we're on that subject. I, I want today to tie up some loose ends and make some summaries, if you would. So bear with me, and let's think about this subject of the... Uh, abodes that are punishments for sin. Look at your screen for a moment. And uh, let's see. There we go. Places of punishment in the unseen world. Now we've talked about some of this. Like I said, I'm recapping, summarizing. And there's, there's at least four places, maybe three, maybe four places in the unseen world that include punishment. And we're going to look at those right quickly. Now hell, the word Gehenna, is translated hell in all reliable translations. Regardless of what translation you've got in your lap right now, unless you've got one that's written by the uh, Jehovah Witness organization themselves, it'll be translated hell. And uh, it's used 12 times in the New Testament. Now, the word, uh, and hell is the eternal abode of the lost humanity and fallen angels. And 
It'll be occupied after the judgment. If you remember two weeks ago, we looked at that. After the judgment, people, angels, will be cast into the lake of fire, which is hell. And, and then the, the second one is this, Hades. Hades is translated hell in the King James Version, but it's translated Hades, that's a transliteration, in the New King James and most all other translations. It doesn't take away from the, uh, from the teaching of hell at all. It just makes us understand what Hades is. Hades is a place of torment and fire as well. We looked at that last week. So Hades is the temporary abode of the lost of humanity until the judgment. Again, I give you this little analogy. Hades is like the jail while you're awaiting your trial. The white throne judgment is the trial for all lost mankind. And after that, hell, the lake of fire. That's the prison. That's the eternal prison. And then we come to a couple of words here that we haven't looked at much. And like I said, I'm trying to tie up some loose ends on this study. So here's the word Tartarus. The Greek word is Tartarus, or actually the Greek word is uh, ends with two O's instead of a U-S uh, when it's transliterated, so it's uh, Tartaro. But in English pronunciation, it is Tartarus. Again, this has nothing to do with Greek and Roman mythology. There are just some terms that are overlapped, just like the terms of love overlaps and sacrifice and dedication and so forth. One's not taken from the other. This is the biblical explanation of Tartarus. So Tartarus is translated hell in the King James, in the New King James, and in many other translations, most of the newer translations. But it's, it's translated Tartarus, again, that would be a transliteration, in the, uh, the Holcomb uh, Christian Study Bible and the uh, uh, New Living Translation and by Kenneth Wiest, Again, he's the great Greek scholar from Dallas Theological Seminary. He translates it uh, Tartarus as well. And it's used only one time in the Bible. Only one time. We're going to look at that. So you've got your Bibles open. Turn to Second Peter. Now, that's only a few pages back towards the front of your Bible. So it's easy to find. Just turn a few pages and you'll be close to Second uh, Peter. And chapter 2. The logic in Peter's writing here is there are false teachers. And these false teachers, God's going to punish. And his logic is if he punish the angels, then he's going to punish these false teachers. If he punish Sodom and Gomorrah, he's going to punish these false teachers. That's the logic. And, and in the context of when we come to verse 4, it says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell. See the word hell there? That's Tartarus. Now, if you've got uh, one of these translations I mentioned, it, it will be translated Tartarus. But in the King James and, and uh, even the ESV, it's translated hell. But it's not the word Gehenna. It's a different word used only one time. And delivered them unto chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So this is a holding place for angels before the judgment. 
So as Hades is for the unbelievers, then uh, Tartarus is similar for fallen angels. Now, the, many people believe that these are the angels that co-inhabited with the women of the earth just before the flood, spoken about in Genesis chapter 6. Now, we know a lot of fallen angels. A fallen angel is a demon. Demons are loose and around and everywhere around us. And, uh, but some of them are confined in Tartarus. Strong's Dictionary of Greek Words says this means the lowest place in hell. So here is the word Tartarus, uh, and it's for angels until the day of judgment. Now look back at your screen for a moment, and let's, let's uh, add the little quick, easy-to-remember definition. It is an abode for fallen angels that sinned with humanity in chapter uh, 6 of the book of Genesis. So, Tartarus. Now there's another word I want to talk about we haven't talked about yet, the abyss. The abyss is translated bottomless pit in the King James, the New King James, the ESV, and as you see there, and it's translated, but it is translated abyss instead of bottomless pit in the NIV and the Holcomb Study Bible, uh, and it's used nine times. So it's used more often than Tartarus. It's used nine times. Now, you're already close, so turn over in your Bibles to the book of Revelation in chapter 9. Seven of the nine times that this word is used, it is used in the book of Revelation. And uh, let's pick up Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. Now, this is an extremely interesting passage of prophecy. But we're not thinking about the prophecy. We're just really thinking about the, the, the uh, unseen world. So look at verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven uh, unto the earth and to him. So the star was a, was a being to him. The star was given the key to the bottomless pit. See the word bottomless pit? That's the word abyss. And... Uh, and look at verse 2. And he opened the bottomless pit. There it is again. He opened the abyss. And there arose a smoke out of the pit. As the smoke of a great furnace. <clears throat> and, the, uh, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And then jump to the end of this little section. Verse 11. And it says. And they... They, that is the demons that come out of this pit. So demons come out of this pit. And they're fierce. Just reading them will give you nightmares. And, they, and they're going to come out during the tribulation period. And they will be able to sting men somehow. And cause tremendous pain for five months. So bad people will, will want to die. But they won't be able to die. These demons come out of the abyss, or the pit. Look at verse 11. 
And they, that's the demons, had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, that's the abyss, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue it is Apollyon. So both of those words mean destruction. So there was an angel, uh, a fallen angel, uh, over them was their king. But now what we're interested in is that place. So this is a place for fallen angels as well. Mentioned nine times. By the way, don't turn there. We don't have time. Do you remember when Jesus cast the, the demons out of the, the man at Gadara? And uh, he was in the tombs, you know, and, and uh, he asked for the name of the demon, and he said, we are legion because we are so many. And he was going to cast them into the swine, into the pigs. But you remember, right before he did that, they begged him, and the tense indicates they asked him over and over again, don't send us to the deep. Now, in the King James, it says deep. That's the word abyss. That's the same word. That's one of the nine times it's used. That's in Luke 8, 31. And so these demons were begging Jesus, don't send us to the abyss. So they knew about the abyss, and they knew some of their fellow fallen angels were in there. And Jesus let them move, commanded them to move into the swine. So... Let's put a definition, short definition on this abyss. Look at this last phrase here. It is an abode for some fallen angels, not all, but some fallen angels, and some will be released during the tribulation period. So here we have a little bit of a, of a tying up of some loose ends on the abodes of punishment. So let me give them to you now in a, in a way that's really summary. Hell is the eternal abode for the lost humanity and angels after the judgment. It is also the lake of fire. It's, that's a synonym for it. That's a description of it. And, uh, and then you have Hades, which is the temporary abode of lost humanity until judgment but don't think that takes away from the teaching of hell because this is a place of torment and a place of fire, the Bible teaches us. But it's temporary until judgment comes. And then you have Tartarus, which is an abode for fallen angels that sinned with humanity, uh, with co-inhabiting with women. And then you have the abyss, an abode for some fallen angels and some released or will be released during the tribulation. Now, I said there might be three places of punishment in, of abodes in the unseen world. I said there might be four, there might be three. Some scholars think these last two are the same place, and both of those names refer to the same place, the abyss and Tartarus, because both of them have angels in them, fallen angels in them. So I think that's very possible, but the Bible doesn't make it uh, totally clear either way. It could be two separate places. It could be one place. Now, I want to try to somewhat speak on the question, where is hell? Well, if you, if you remember that, uh, and by, by the way, let me emphasize this here so, uh, so I don't forget it. 
Hell's not the same for everybody. We've looked at that. Jesus taught there are different degrees of punishment in hell based on how much light somebody had, how much of the Bible they heard or the gospel they heard, and based on their own personal sins. So there will be degrees in punishment in hell. So think about where is hell. Remember when we talked about heaven... Uh, Ephesians 4.10, it says, Jesus, after his resurrection, he ascended up above the heavens. And we'd already looked at, there are three heavens, our atmosphere, space, and then where God lives, three heavens. So he, he ascended up past heavens, plural. So he ascended up past uh, our atmosphere and space into heaven. And we speculated about, you know, what, black holes and things like that. We just don't know. But it's somewhere glorious, and it's a real place. As the scripture says, it's a physical place. And then, so that's uh, heaven. Now, the only information we have about hell is, in Philippians 2.10, it uses a term, under the earth. Now, it's not referring directly to hell. But that's the passage that says, one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Those that are in heaven, those that are on the earth, and those that are under the earth. And then twice that ex exact same phrase is used in the book of Revelation, under the earth. So what does that mean? Some scholars believe that it is under the crust of the earth and it is somehow inside the earth. Here's a quote from one of those scholars. He says, The earth is comprised of four distinct layers, the crust, the mantle, the outer core, and the inner core. The inner core is perceived to be solid metal and the outer core liquid metal. Biblical scholars surmise, that's an important word, they surmise hell lies between the crust and the upper mantle of the earth. One possibility. Another possibility is, as someone has said it, and I quote, it lies somewhere in God's boundless universe. <laughs> That's a pretty good statement. Leaves open for a lot of thought, doesn't it? Uh, and, and some have thought he heaven is upward. And uh, I'm trying to do this quickly because my time's getting away. Heaven is upward. And in... Uh, in Isaiah chapter 14, where it describes the fall of Satan, it says that uh, he was wanted to be in heaven in the sides of the north. The book of Job mentions the north in relation to God. Do you know, I read recently, I didn't bring it to the pulpit with me because I, I didn't... I really wasn't want to spend a lot of time on this, but somehow I got stuck on it. Um, maybe it's because y'all want to hear it. I hope, that, I hope that's why I got stuck on it. But I came across an article saying a recent, a recent 
uh, black hole in the universe, the largest that's ever been found. You remember when we talked about that? When we were talking about heaven, you could put millions and billions of our sun inside of one of these black holes. That's how big they are. This one's bigger than any of the rest of them. And it's due north from the North Pole. Due north from the North Pole. Isn't that something? So maybe hell, if it's not actually under the, the crust of the earth, maybe it's under the earth in the sense of north and south. Heaven is up, directly from north maybe. Hell is somewhere in God's boundless universe, maybe under the earth in the sense of being south. We don't know. That's a speculation. Others have speculated that it would be the old earth itself burning and that all of God's people, of course, are going to be on a new earth, and that part is certainly true. And the old earth is certainly going to burn. And then a fourth thought is that heaven and hell both, though they are real, exist in another dimension. You know, we talked about that when we talked about heaven too a little bit. So there are some possibilities about where hell is. Heaven is a real place and real people go there. Amen? But the Bible says hell is a real place too and real people go there. What a tragedy that is. The fact that hell is a real place ought to make us as believers really thankful for God's great unspeakable and quality love. Amen? It ought to make us be thankful for the cross and for the blood and for the forgiveness of sin and that heaven's a real place. And if we're redeemed, that's where we're going. Amen? It also ought to make us pray for the lost. You, maybe you've got family members that don't know Christ. Maybe you should make a list. You may have a list. You may pray over that list every day. If you don't have a list, you should make a list. Pray for them. Maybe people at work you know that are not believers. Make a list. Pray for them. And don't give up praying for them. Keep praying. And then thirdly, it, it should make us want to share the faith. Witness to someone. Tell someone how the Lord Jesus redeemed us. Pass out a track. Pass out a booklet. Share something on your social media. Share the gospel. If hell is a real place, we ought to share the gospel. Amen? And then we ought to give and serve here in the local church because when the local church is strong and everybody's working together, we reach more people with the gospel. We can reach more people with, uh, and bring them to Christ. I remind you of that big old screen out there that's the world map in the hallway and all those missionaries. When you, 25% of our budget goes out to missions. So when you give here, you're not only helping our local church reach people, you're helping reach people around the world. So we should give and serve in the local church. Peter said, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All. Paul said, God is willing that all men be saved. And come to the knowledge of the truth. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you can do that. You can do that today.
People say, why would a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. Hell was created for uh, Satan and his fallen angels. It wasn't created for mankind. God wants mankind to be redeemed by the blood of Christ and on their way to heaven. Bow with me, please. I wonder, maybe today you'd say, Preacher, I know I'm saved. There's no doubt about that. But I want to, I want to be more thankful for God's salvation and for the blood. And I want to be more prayerful. I want to pray for people who are lost. And I want to share the gospel with people. With my voice, with literature, online. I want to do that. And I want to be a faithful servant and giver in the local church so the local church can be strong and reach people. That's what I want. If that's what you want today, would you slip your hands up all over the building? Yes, many, many hands. Mine's up as well. You may put them down. God bless you, each one. Maybe you'd say, Preacher, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. I'm not sure if I died today I'd go to heaven. Will you let me pray for you as we close? Anyone like that, slip up your hand for prayer. Preacher, I've never received Christ as Savior. I'm not sure I'd go to heaven if I died today. Pray for me. Anyone? Slip your hand up and let me pray for you. Anyone? All right. Father, thank you for the Word of God. And thank you for the cross and the blood and forgiveness of sin in heaven. Thank you for redemption. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us. Thank you, Father, for loving us with that indescribable quality of love. May we behold it in great wonder and amazement today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me, please, would you?